Hi everyone, welcome to the Stay Hungry podcast. I've got a really cool guest for you today and we're going to be talking about building millennial brands. Kelsey, welcome to the Stay Hungry podcast. Thanks for having me. Very hungry, as mentioned, so it's good in my industry and happy to be here. Nice, nice. Uh, I guess before we get into it too much, uh, this is know me as Joel, the sarcastic British guy on the Stay Hungry podcast. Who are you? So. Who are you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Kelsey. I'm the founder and fearless leader over at Dope Cookie Dough. Nice. Uh, we're an edible and bakeable cookie dough company. We ship nationwide. We haven't quite made it across the pond yet, but working on it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> There's got to be an opportunity because you may or may not know this. We don't really have cookie dough here. Yeah, totally. I've heard. Um, I've heard. We have it in ice cream. But, mm-hmm. but for example... I told my business partner about this podcast. He's like, oh, cookies. I was like, no, no. Like Cookie before dough. that, like yeah. free oven. Yeah, no, it's so funny. Like my first um, kind of focus with the company was our storefronts and we were in tourist locations mm-hmm. that were very like, not only the United States traffic, but lots of international traffic and like trying to explain what cookie dough is to a family, you know, visiting from China or like Brazil, for example. Yeah. I married a Brazilian and like trying to explain to his family what I do and they're like, cookie dough like what i'm like there's not even a word for it in uh in portuguese it's like massage cookie like dough of the cookie yeah <laughs> yeah this is not really a thing elsewhere but you know other countries tend to like kind of have this some affinity for like what these weird food trends are in the states so like it's starting to kind of get those legs in other areas. sure yeah so sure. so like here in the uk traditionally you kind of make cookies with you with your mom um mm-hmm. And then she'd give you the bowl afterwards. And that, that's as close to cookie dough as, totally as you it. get here. Um, yeah. I think it's also like the sweetness level of cookies. So like my grandparents, Scottish, and my Nana and I were always baking. But, you know, she loves like shortbread. Like we'd sure. be making shortbread all the time. And like, that's not really like a dough you want to eat, you know, like <laughs> sugar cookie dough, chocolate chip cookie dough. Like that's delicious. And like, that's what they've used, you know, since like the 80s in cookie dough ice cream. Yeah. And so I just found a way to make it safe to eat and let you eat like a whole bowl of it instead of just like sneaking one bite because the raw eggs and all that. Sure. So, cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kind of asked our listeners, asked some of our, some of my colleagues what what they'd like me to talk about. Um, and what came back was, okay, talk. let's find out what Kelsey's failures were, uh, kind of what went wrong, what, what didn't go so well before dope and how dope has happened. Uh, so yeah. over to you. Yeah, um, I was like, I got lots of stories of what didn't go so well, like during dope too, you know, there's all these learnings, like all the time, every, you know, it's like I say, like every six months is like getting an MBA with a business because we're just constantly like evolving and growing or like into a new channel or, you know, transitioning something, a new product coming out. So I'm constantly learning and, you know, you have hiccups, like you have learnings and um, things that you can take forward to make it better. But pre-dope, life before dope, um, you know, it was very different. I didn't work in food previously. I spent 10 years working in high tech, yeah. very thrilling tech product marketing. Um, basically they were like, please stop using so many exclamation points. Like you sound too excited <laughs> in your coffee. Um, you know, that's, what's been so fun with building dope is like a brand that like can be however I want it to sound it can sure. be like happy and bubbly and fun. And it doesn't have to be so like fit in this box. Yeah. So had 10 years in tech and, you know, I started there when I was 16 years old. So it was like, you're a kid to like, you're an adult and go into this corporate life. And, um, you know, I had a lot of undiagnosed anxiety as a kid, tons of like stress and like 
always really worked up over stuff, you know, just like a really like on edge kid and jumping into corporate America, like that just got a little more extreme because now I felt like an even higher bar to be up to. And, you know, after what was only supposed to be a summer internship, I was asked to stay on through the school years and like, would I like to keep going? So it was part-time every school year, full-time every summer, all the way through high school and then college until graduating and just becoming a full-time employee. So to deal with all the stress and anxiety um, and not being as in tune with like my own mental health Mm -hmm. or like, what are my like tricks and tools to stay like calm? I was really leaning into alcohol and I developed a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So okay. got sober in 2015 and oh, like, like, awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I, I did this like, you know, September of 2015, I just had one last hurrah, you know, like one last night where I was just, I woke up and I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot believe what I did, who I'm going to have to apologize to what relationships I just destroyed. Like, where's my phone? And like all of these things, you know, it was just another event of like, the alcohol being too much, I'm not able to handle it. And now these consequences I have to face that I like barely remember. And enough was enough. I was literally just so clear that morning that like, I never want to feel this way again. And I have so much more, like, I know there's more to life than what this has been like. Um, And it's hard for so many people to get to that point when you have the good job. You know, I was literally on a work trip in Barcelona, like what a cool opportunity, but alcoholism followed me there you know it's not like I got to get away from my problems with alcohol and I just kind of had to face it that a relationship with anybody else or myself will never be possible until I get this under control so got sober and then I was just like able to really rediscover what I love in life and like that's being in the kitchen I love making desserts for people Uh, I like eating them as I mentioned to you I've already had like a plate of cookies this morning it's 10 a.m here I'm okay with that that's fine I love it love eating it but I love watching other people eat what I've made you know food can really like evoke such strong memories and like it can make people so happy like I just love this idea of you know trying to shake things up from like oh you've had a hard week like you need a glass of wine to like man it was a hard week you should get some cookie dough (laughs) like you should have a bite of dough it'll make you feel good so that's that's my issue Um, so I I, am similar story uh anxious childhood um overworked uh but my my go-to is food so so I've got the op- maybe I'll turn to alcohol and give up the cookies, but it's yeah. yes, I know there's it's it's true. There's not a one size fits all for like how to you know how to celebrate when something's mm-hmm. great yeah. and how to cope with hard times. And like there just needs to be more conversation in the world about the other options that are out there. Like, are you you know journaling and like meditating mm-hmm. and, and yoga was so incredible for me. Um, and honestly, like the time in the kitchen was very like meditative, like yeah. a nice stress reliever to just be relaxed and the, the measurements are so precise. Um, so finding those other outlets that are just like healthier ways to, you know, deal with how you're feeling and, and the stress levels you've got um, and channel your energy into something positive. Yeah. Yeah. Being very mindful of where, where you're at. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you're also in the Forbes 30 under 30. Talk to me about that. That's crazy. Yeah, it is so crazy. You know, I mean, like, it's these little things that have happened. It's like Shark Tank and like the Forbes thing. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that's so cool. That happened to that like lady who runs the cookie dough company. I like can't believe it's me. Um, yeah, I, I I got chosen as a Forbes 30 under 30 for that food and beverage category. Mm-hmm. And um, found out like late 2019, like December, they told me for uh, the 2020 list. Um, Super cool, you know, just a great accomplishment to be recognized for what I'd built and how quickly I built it um, to the size that it was, but also like 
the thought that I put behind what the company would stand for. So given my journey into sobriety, we're like all about mental health and addiction recovery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, shows like Shark Tank, they see tons of companies. They were like, frankly, you know, we've seen like 13 other cookie dough companies this season, like trying out, but you're doing it different. You know, I think this recognition that like, if I'm not just a cookie dough company, you know, I'm really trying to like break the stigma around mental health and addiction recovery. And we sell cookie dough to do that. So, so you just dropped that in now, by the way, we were on shark tank as well. So yeah. 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 So, so in the UK, that's called dragon's den. Um, Mm -hmm. same show. Um, and amazing. If you get investment on, on there, that's, that's kind of wild because people don't realize how many other companies are on there and get edited out of the show like mm-hmm. like you just said so talk talk to me about that because the scale of your business and and we're obviously very much talking about a millennial product but it's not tech and it's you know normally millennial products are, are tech yeah. and they yeah. fly and it's kind of become a prerequisite talk yeah. to me about how a cookie dough company goes from being your idea and your your kind of almost hobby business to being this kind of we're going to be the world leading brand in in cookie dough that's that's mad yeah it's like it's funny that i totally encourage people if you're passionate enough about anything like i think there's a way to make it the best blank in the world you know like it's there's a space for that if you're creative enough and um open enough to understanding like the channels that call for it, you know, and like where it works. So when I first started, you you talk about this, like from then till now, um, I was literally just like, I've got a kick-ass cookie dough recipe. People Mm -hmm. like cookie dough. Now they can eat it safe to raw, safe to eat raw. And like, let me see if anyone's willing to pay for it. You know? So it was like, I went out with like a hundred pounds of cookie dough in this like cart that I had built to a park in San Francisco on April 20th of 2017, I had made like t-shirts for dope and like business cards and, um, you know, the branding and stuff like was off the bat. Like I thought of like the fun names I wanted, like this s'mores hella lit was like our s'more flavor. Um, and we had like a yeah white chocolate chip and cranberry one. Our chocolate chip one was there. Vegan life was there. So like we had, you know, I had already put a lot of thought into like what dope would look like. Yeah. And it was like 6.50 a scoop and we sold out in three hours, like all wow. pounds gone. <laughs> And I was like, okay, like we're on to something. And when you're first getting going, it's this like, you know, test and learn model of like, okay, so it worked selling it like this. I'm selling it in scoops into a cup. Like, let me see, um, you know, if I can get more catering gigs and like, let me reach out to this food park in San Francisco and see if they'd let me set up there, you know? So I got, got into that, wrote them and they're like two hours later, like, wait, cookie dough? Like, yes, when can you start? And I'm like, okay, like Googling like business licenses for, (laughs) for food business, like how to operate at a food park. Um, so you just like, you know, kind of go and lead where, where the business calls you, um, had someone call after a few months being like, Hey, I heard about your cookie dough company. Like do wholesale. I'm like, of course I do. They're like, can you send your wholesale pricing over? I'm like, yes. And they're like, how to calculate wholesale pricing. So it's like, you just, I guess I was really always open to like seeing what was working. And, um, we started leaning into the storefronts, as I mentioned, you know, this opportunity to get people to like really come and get a memory like attached to it. So sure. being on Pier 39 and SF, being in Vegas on the strip, it was like I was going to get people on vacation with their family or whatever, where it's like you're taking lots of photos and it's really sunk in as like, oh, we went to that cookie dough place when we were there. So, um, yeah, I spent like, you know, the first three years really focused on that brand awareness with the, the storefronts. 
and doing a little bit of all the other things to see what sure. would work, like catering and wholesale and online. Um, my husband joined the company in late 2019 and was like, okay, 2020 is our year of focus. Like we're doing too much. It's like, we've got enough data now from all these test areas. Like, let's see what the right area is mm -hmm. to try and scale and bless him. We chose e-commerce because you know what would happen in 2020. And, um, you know, we had just really started to get the gears going for e-commerce, getting on Shopify and like, um, getting all of our retention marketing set up with email and SMS and, you know, really like brand forward and everything that we do. And it felt like e-commerce is like the best way to get across like our mission and our message super crisp and clear with customers and own that customer relationship. Mm -hmm. um, we went from like 30 boxes a month in November being shipped out to 3000 boxes a week in April of 2020. Why? I was like going to let that sink in because it was exhausting. I, how? And not, not how as in demand. How do you facilitate that? How do you go from what is achievable as, as a couple, let's say, to something that that's a monster? Yeah, full on, like a full on, like booming e-commerce business in like a four month window or whatever it yeah. was. So. Um, so, I mean, we had our store and we were producing at that storefront. So the store in Vegas, we had already chosen to close down San Francisco store, no fault to Pier 39, just operations in San Francisco were crazy expensive and okay. um, decided to focus on the flagship in Vegas. So we had a giant mixer there in the front. It was like part of the show that you could like watch us making the dough from the front window and everything. Um, like a you know, we could do like 80 pound batches or something. Now we're making 190 pound batches today. Okay. Um, but it was still pretty sizable. It wasn't your standard like uh, counter KitchenAid mix yeah. or anything. We were like with the big boys. Um, so we were, you know, producing the dough originally, you know, during their shifts, like they were able to kind of make dough and pack the jars, like as they were working the front counter line, you know, the mm -hmm. staff in the store. And, and then packing, okay, and our general manager could kind of oversee that. But then it started to get to like, there's not enough time to get those done while serving customers. So, okay, we have dedicated staff to just do that. And then it was like, there's not enough hours in the day. So we had to flip to doing graveyard shifts from like, I think March, the very beginning of March on was like running graveyard shifts at the store. So like, as soon as the store closed and we closed the gates, tables went out across the whole middle of the store for all the packing and jarring and everything. like. It was a whole production, like really, really wild. Um, and everything had to be ready by like 9 a.m. in the morning. So my husband and I working some of those graveyard shifts, you know, he, many of them on the operations side and like it, we'd get back at like, you know, five in the morning from the store, sleep for like two hours and then have to be up for all like the agency meetings with the marketing teams and like, you know, still running the business. Yeah. And it was just madness. So. In April, when we started getting to that 3,000 a week, we found fulfillment centers and a co-packer um, and have since, you know, now we've got a great fulfillment center and co-packer here in Las Vegas. They're eight minutes away from each other. So it's like very nice to have those co-located, um, not paying like crazy freight to ship it across the country sure. anymore. And yeah, now we get to focus on, you know, we wanted to be a brand and not a manufacturing company. Yeah. I, so it wasn't as critical that we own it in-house. You touched on something there that I think where a lot of businesses fail, particularly when they're scaling, is you were basically willing to do what it took to make it happen. And yeah. there aren't many people out there that will do two hours sleep for four months or... Yeah. or <laughs> like we were dying. We were really yeah. like... it's. We look back at it like PTSD. Like it was dark times, but it's totally one of those things where you're like, there's no one else who would ever care about this as much as you do. And if you don't show up for it, 
like no one else will, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you need to even like being there with the staff, being able to show them that like, we're, we're in it with you. Like, this is crazy, but we're going to make it through. And like, we have a plan to getting this to like, you know, outsource and, and do other stuff. So yeah, it was, it was wild, but it really does take like that, that grit and determination. Like there's literally nothing that could come up that would stop me from making this happen. Yeah. Yeah. So you're on a UK podcast. When is it coming to the UK? <laughs> um, you know, I think it's the only thing we're missing really, obviously, like the internet is everywhere. So mm -hmm. the people from the UK can see our site, but being able to fulfill orders there is really going to take us, um, you know, need us to have a manufacturing happening locally. Yeah. So it's more just a, a bandwidth thing. You know, we're raising our series A round right now, um, being able to find that, that bandwidth to find a partner there, you know, who can help on finding the right co-packer and fulfillment center. And then, you know, getting those pieces moving isn't so, so challenging from there, but yeah, more just a bandwidth timing thing. So we're probably, I'd say a year out. That's soon. That's soon. That's cool. That's okay. a century away <laughs> to me. You so much it, happens in literally a week. That you you, you like. say it's a long time away, but if I asked you yeah. to recall everything in the last year, I bet it feels like yesterday. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it flies by. It's really crazy. So you're a millennial brand in a millennial led world kind of um and millennials I know, gen z is like fucking shit up <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 my generation so um and kind of how, how do you speak to those people because there's a there's a there's an argument that they're the hardest generation to to reach that um they're the kind of the most independent and you know, I, I run a marketing company and I know that there's so many pockets of different millennials. It's a really different thing to anything that's happened before. How, how are you doing it? Um, being one has helped. Mm -hmm. So I am a millennial. Um, and, you know, when I set out to make the brand, like I said to my friend, like, I just want to make a really dope dessert company, like somewhere you and I would want to hang out at. And she's yeah. like, oh, my God, dope could have dough in it. We have to call it that. And it started to evolve from there. Like, I just wanted to make a brand that was really authentic. And I think like millennials grew up like learning how to see through the bullshit of like yeah. fake advertising and the sales stuff and this and that. And like, we just wanted to hear a company like talk like us and like talk mm -hmm. like a friend and not talk like they were some like marketing sales pitch, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember pre-dope like seeing like, you know, Netflix, like Twitter accounts stuff. And then some of the beef, like the, with the fast food companies and things, they started to get like personalities like coming through sure. their handles. And I, that's like really well received. I feel like, you know, it's just trying to be as real as you can. And then also, I mean, it, I see this like in interviewing people in this demographic for the company. Like the first thing they say is they're so stoked to work for a company that cares about mental health and addiction mm -hmm. recovery. And like, here's how that's affected me in my life. So in so far as like mission alone is super important to that demographic, like making sure that like, what, why does this company exist? Like, what yeah. do they care about? And how is me buying from them going to help the world in some way? Um, mental health and addiction recovery in particular, which has become, you know, the core of dope. It's like, it has really, it's like one degree of separation. Everyone's like me or someone I know is like pretty deeply affected by this in some way. So I think that we really struck a nerve with like stuff that people wanted to talk about. And now 
um, you know, some of the work I've been putting out to help influence employers in this area with like yeah. mental health policies. And like, I think that's really exciting to millennials who are like, yes, like, let me take this. You know, some people are saying like, I'm, I just took this to my HR representative or like, I just shared this with the founder. Like, we're going to see if we can put something at our company like that. So just being more than the product that you're selling is like yeah. what I think speaks volumes. So have you got, have you got an example of that? Something that you've got in place that, that really resonates with your team? Yeah, like the mental health policy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's on our blog, actually, too. So I made like a template version of our internal policy at Dope to be able to share so people could take this out to implement it their companies, um, if they're an owner or share it, like I said, with HR teams, sure. if you're an employee. Um, we have like mental health subsidies. So subsidizing if it's float spas or massages or therapy, you know, whatever works for you to make sure you've got some mental health care, um, subsidizing a portion of that. I think it's like up to um, $500 or something a year. Uh, so we've got the subsidies, we've got mental health days. So a no questions asked day off when you need it. Um, mm -hmm. No financial penalty, you know, for those that are part-time, like they'll still get paid for their shift, even if they can't make it in. And the goal of all these things, you know, that we've got our, our mental health days on our Slack channel to share like what your high and your low of the last week was. Um, but it's all about like encouraging that more open conversation. Like it's okay to say what's really going on in your life. Like it's okay to share like the the hardest thing that happened to you last week and not have any judgment, have people like there to support or like, you know, give you some help if it's something that yeah. someone else can help yeah. with or, um, you know, sh share a similar experience if someone else is going through the same thing. You like unlock these doors for other people to say like, hey, yeah, me too, you know, when you are more open. So um, yeah, articulating that to our customer base through like our Mental Health Monday emails or posts, um, and our blog, you know, always trying to share what we're doing to like walk the walk more than just like, hey, we donate a portion of every purchase. Like that's awesome. And we're having like a crazy cool impact with the nonprofit space, but really like doing it is, is a cool thing. Yeah. Too. You kind of live and breathe what you say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. I'll accept that. No, it's, funny. no <laughs> okay. it, as somebody who's had <laughs> what I, I don't ever talk about this on the podcast, so you've caught me out now. Mm -hmm. As somebody who suffered with pretty severe mental health issues, and that might come as a surprise to people listening because there's members of my family that don't know that. So, um, I have never worked in a business in, in the UK that has, uh, they do have mental health policies, but it's kind of like a cut and paste type. I've, ne mm -hmm. I've never heard of anything like you just described. So my, my reaction mm -hmm. was understated because I was a bit speechless. Um, yeah. And Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of going through a period of ownership at the moment on it. So um, yeah. in the last 12 months, I've told friends that I've never told. Uh, just kind of tried to face up to it. But How'd it feel? Uh, the first nine months of that was horrendous, <laughs> the most terrifying thing I've ever been through. The last three months has been the best. Like, we're in a second lockdown in the UK, and everyone's mm -hmm. telling me how awful the second lockdown's been. And oh, I feel mm -hmm. really bad, because I'm like, what are you talking about? It's been it's been brilliant. I'm, I feel great. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> but, um, Different experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just... Um, in in a funny in a funny place of it now where I can yeah. I can see things uh, clearly for the first time in my adult life, which is quite scary mm -hmm. when you're thirty three. But it is what it is. But just to if I'd have gone into a company like yours at at that age and 
they'd have said to me, this is a, this is a safe place. You can share how you feel and not mm-hmm. be judged. That That's huge. And I mean, that would be huge for people who aren't millennials. So that'd be huge for people in their 50s, 60s that totally. suddenly you can share some things that, I mean, in in in, in the yeah. UK in particular, there's a real stiff upper lip thing. People don't talk about going to see their psychiatrist totally. or or having counselling. You just that's not yeah. not a thing. Um, yeah, yeah, amazing. It's like this thing that's it affects so many of us, mm-hmm. and we feel so much better when we can tell someone else what's yeah. been going on, and it's received well, and we're not judged or fired or you know any other harsh reaction from it. And like it just ends up bettering it because that person probably had something they wanted to share too. And yeah. like you get it off your chest, you get that the chance to say it out loud. And I mean, for those, for example, in recovery or coming through mental health challenges and like finding, like you said, seeing a whole seeing the world in a whole new way, like don't you want now to like share that with other people? Like, hey, yeah. like anybody out there listening who's like not feeling so hot or like you've been down, like reach out to a friend because somebody's probably been through some version of what you're going through. And there's, you know, online communities to connect with. There's like an amazing mental health Reddit community. Mm -hmm. There's She Recovers um, for all sorts of life challenges, eating disorders, mental health challenges, substance use. Um, And that's all like for women who, or those who identify with women's communities, Um, tons of places like that to like link into and just reach out and talk to somebody. Um, And then bringing it to the employer side, it's like, Oftentimes when you look at like suicide risk, like the last place someone is showing up is work. And if all the employers are sitting there, like pretend like you're okay all the time. All right. Can you just have your stuff over there and then just come to work and be fine. I don't want to hear about it. Like what a, what a miss, like you might Mm -hmm. be losing a life because you told them to go keep their stuff to themselves and you might be the last place they came to. So I feel like I get goosebumps when I talk about this Mm -hmm. because I feel like employers miss like how pivotal their role is in human life and that they just expect people to come up and be cogs in a machine and make it move when they're all humans who like want to talk about how they're feeling and work is so much of our lives these days um that it it just i feel like has to evolve into a place where you can be yourself and talk about it yeah hugely so multi-generational like you mentioned too um salesforce in particular i just did this interview with uh uh, Chris, dear Lord, I'm gonna forget his last name, but he's this sober exec on Instagram. He hit 15 years sober last June and had never told anybody. He had always kept it private. The whole, you know, I mean, look at Alcoholics Anonymous. The whole thing has the program itself has always been wrapped around keeping things anonymous. So, however you went through your recovery journey, there's always been the stigma around like something was wrong with you. So you should probably like keep yeah. it to yourself. And he decided on his 15 year birthday to put on like LinkedIn and Facebook saying like 15 reasons why I'm glad to be 15 years sober today. And like the response was amazing. Like he had all these people reaching out like, you know, me too. And like, or do you have any advice or I'm looking to get sober. And he ended up creating like sober force an employee resource group at Salesforce. And there's like, you know, 400 and growing people that have joined wow. and now being able to say like, Hey, I'm also sober. Like you would have never known this. We're like wearing like our sober superhero capes, like under our office jackets. Like, you know, it's just so cool to see this evolution of like lots of generations of people coming out saying like, Hey, like this wasn't great, but like, look how cool it is that I went to change something about my life and be a better version of myself. Yeah. Like that should be like a badge of honor. <laughs> you know? I think um, if you suffer with mental health and you're relatively low functioning with it, 
or suffer with addiction and you're relatively low functioning mm-hmm. with it, it it's easier to notice. Um, doesn't doesn't mean it's any less significant. It just but if you if like yourself, uh, me in some instances sounds like the guy at Salesforce. If you're high functioning, and you still show up at work and you still do your job and you still perform to a good level, you can really be missed. And I think there's a whole uh, generation now, which touching back on the millennial thing, that um, they're more in touch with their emotions, so they're probably better functioning with sometimes really, really significant issues underlying. And your approach allows them to to share that and, and not feel judged. And I, I'm sure you realise how significant that is, but that's that's a really big deal. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've literally, like, I've been on a kick the last couple of weeks here thinking about, like, a employer certification process mm-hmm. that I could create to, like, be a really dope company, you know, like get the seal of approval that you do these things, like work with some psychologists and, you know, certified folks in the area to like get these guidelines down of like, what can a company really do? Cause I don't think all employers are bad people. Sure. I just don't think they've been equipped with like how to evolve with the world and like what things could they implement to encourage a more open environment at their office. So um, I'm really like, the more this resonates with people, the more I'm like, I've got to do something to like create a process to help businesses like get that check. And then as a, a, you know, employee going and interviewing, like it would be something you'd want to see that a company got this certification that they care about mental health and have these policies. Like it's like being lead certified for your building. I don't know if you guys have this in the UK, but like how environmentally friendly is, is your office space and stuff. Same kind of idea of like, coming up with something that they could adhere to and, and get a sort of stamp of approval like this company. Yeah, awesome. I, I, <laughs> I deal with a lot of business owners and the fortunate ones that have never had mental health issues or addiction, it's so difficult for them to understand. And yeah. it's brilliant that they don't understand because it means they've never experienced it. But for, yeah. for a, a certification like that to be in place that just... Yeah gives them a framework to even if they don't understand to just adhere to could could be really significant mm-hmm. my cat agrees I nice know. i wanted to have the door open behind you i i, I didn't want to say <laughs> he knows how to open doors so if i close it it's worse he's gonna like hit the door handle okay. and break in. it's a whole thing his my, name is chip so he joins as a chocolate makes chip sense as. makes sense yeah my, my dog's called george so that doesn't work but <laughs> he can open doors so um Yes, Chip is lively. I got him just after I started Dope, actually. It was just crazy hours running the company. And I was like, you know, I just wanted to have a pet. Didn't have enough time to um, have a dog. And, um, you know, he was awesome. I went from processor chips at Intel to chocolate chips at Dope. So Makes a lot I mean, of sense. Makes a yeah, lot of sense. He's very needy. So uh, if he keeps meowing, we'll, we'll boot him. No, that's cool. He's allowed in. He's allowed in. Enjoying the combo. Yeah. So we've gone really deep there. Really, really deep. Um, I love it. Awesome. <laughs> okay, well, we can the start. Cookie dough lady, unexpected conversation. <laughs> yeah, cookie dough lady gets Joel to open up on the Stay Hungry podcast. Yeah, so, Incredible. Five stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Top review. <laughs> How else do you get at millennials? Because there's a, you've got to attract people to your brand, right? Um, mm-hmm. Understand with staff showing that you care about mental health, hugely important. What a, what did you do? Because your e-commerce situation, to go from the numbers you had in November to the numbers you had in April, that's not an accident. 
it wasn't luck. So, so what was in place that made that happen? How did you resonate with people? Yeah. Do you mean like marketing mix? Like which channels do we go through? Uh, not, not necessarily channels, just, just how, how, what, what, what was your message that, that struck? Obviously cookie dough is delicious. That helps. But yeah, yeah I mean, um, certainly like being able to get across the, what we care about and why we do what we do, showing that it's super delicious, you know, reaction videos of people eating it are really helpful. Cause yeah. they're just like, whoa, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. Chips in shot. He's, he's crazy. He's out of control. He's like an adventure cat. Um, yeah. I mean, the messaging that we put across, like I always have this balance with social media and email and SMS that like, it needs to be a mix of mm -hmm. like adding value, like real resource things, like information driven around the mental health side. And then a little bit about the product and like new flavors we're releasing and like things we're doing to keep it exciting on the product front and then sales, you know, the moments of like something fun that we're doing, you know, get a free pint with your order or like celebrate this, um, you know, XYZ kind of like food holiday. There's tons of those things to do. So um, <laughs> this cool. cat is cracking me up. I'm so sorry. No, I'm, it's the first pet on the podcast and my Incredible. dog is going to be furious. So, <laughs> so funny. Yeah. They to hear each other. That'll be something else. Um, yeah. I mean, I think just giving like real stuff to tap into, if you look at like our social media, for example, um, we really looked at like, as we built things, even our flavors, the nineties pack we did in January, like millennials love nineties. Like my brother doesn't send me a lot of stuff on Instagram, but he always sends me these like Buzzfeed things of like, Oh, the X, Y, Z, like nineties toys. We remember yeah. like things only a nineties kid will know. What's your favorite nineties um, toy? That's an important question. <laughs> um, probably like a little devilishly the Furby because it would annoy my brother like okay. crazy. He wouldn't stop talking. Furby was great. Okay. Or like the Tamagotchi thing where you could like, yeah, everybody had a Tamagotchi. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Was really something. I guess so. like, is it animal crossing now? That's like, yeah, I can't get into that. It's Tamagotchi for like the Sneak. new generation. Yeah. Or like the really, I feel like a lot of older people play like the Farmville and like, those. yeah, it's like it's skipped millennials only like young kids play it and then like older people play it um yeah so i think tapping into that like we did this if you know you know series to like promote the 90s pack that we had done and so it was tons of those like do you remember this like blank from the 90s okay and, give me some uh, examples because i'm kind i'm nearly a 90s kid i was born in the late know, like, 80s uh, like gel pens yeah like gel pens and the box you used to keep them in yeah um, so like the gel pens that had a scent as well, those ones. Yeah, some of them were scented. Yeah. Which is so weird. We're all like sniffing pens it's, or like you're yeah. writing sniffing the paper. Um, what else did it have? Like the dodgeball ball, you know, did you throw people like Rugrats? Um, oh, Rugrats is coming back. Did you know that? I don't like it. I don't, I don't like any of it coming back. It's just in a different style now, you know? Mm. I like the old school like cartoon version of it all. And now it's like all like CGI versions of yeah. things. It was just simpler before, you know? Yeah. Like old Tom and Jerry versus new, like... Old Lion King versus new Lion King. Yeah. I'm just, I can't... Nostalgia. It's there. I mean, and it's in the cookie dough. So, like, we played in a couple of things with Dope. Like, the brand itself, kind of like some 90s throwback stuff. And for 90s kids, millennials, um, in the tone of voice we use. And, like, all of the... All of that kind of world. Um, and then with the flavors, you know, leaning into this, we did like a peanut butter and jelly flavor yeah. called You Jelly. We did a cookie crisp cereal flavor. And then we did Dunkaroos and like 
people went nuts for the dunkers. It's like vanilla frosting, uh, the little cookie bits, and then like those rainbow sprinkles in the cookie dough. So good. And so I think we're all just looking to go back to simpler times, like eating cookie dough, like brings you back to being a kid. And um, we get to add these like extra layers of nostalgia on top of it. And I think it's yeah. like a really nice like, cohesive brand story. Yeah. Why? That, that was a cool answer. <laughs> I'm into that. And we never even touched on Power Rangers. And they were the best toys. So you just got an honorary mention. Yeah, yeah, just throw it in. I've never had this opportunity on the podcast before to, to talk this about this stuff. My Power Rangers no, it's just like I'm trying to think of, of other things that really, really hit me hard. Like recess. Recess was big for me in the nineties. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. obviously the Simpsons. That was yeah. yeah. See, that's you were born just slightly pre nineties. Remember TRL though? That's what's up. We didn't have that. Loved TRL. Yeah. You missed out. Oh, you didn't have that in the UK. You didn't yeah. have it. Yeah. Public so Request Live. We Carson didn't Daly. see. We didn't get the Simpsons till the nineties, so it counts for me. Ah, I see. So, we we're rolling on. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. We didn't get the Fresh Prince of Bel Air till the nineties. It's. Got it. So funny. We catch it late. We didn't get He Man till the nineties. Well, no, it might not be true. I didn't get He-Man until the 90s. The UK had it. So, Your parents' fault. Yeah, yeah, parents and cousins, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good. good looking back, though, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. So what's next? How are you going to... What about the next generation? How am I going to reach them? Yeah, with a noughties throwback. <laughs> Um, I mean, for dope, it's super fun for us to look at like demographic data and like the, the reviews we get even, you know, you have someone who's like, as a 60 year old, blah, 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 like, I love this stuff. You've got, you know, people who are like begging their parents to buy it. Now that we're on TikTok, we see a lot of like, yeah. you know, I'm only 12 and my mom says like, I can't buy it till next week or something. So we get people in all sorts of generations. Um, my parents love it. Like, it's really fun to watch kind of that everyone has like a different affinity and different thing that they pick up from it. Even like, like male parents of three to five year old kids are like our best audience ever, like highest um, average order value, uh, higher conversion rate than the other audiences. And it's so funny that it resonates so well because it's sort of like dope's kind of like a Disney movie in mm -hmm. some ways, you know, there's like things that the parents get and things cool. And then this extra like you know, obviously the kid thinks it's fun and it's like, for us, it's cookie dough and like, look at these cute characters we have, but we did like some fun, like I have our ride or die one here. We did some fun, like hidden branding things. So these are our ride or die dudes. Cool. It's Bob and Chip. So though you might not notice at first glance and a kid would just be like, it's super cute. It's like a cookie and stuff. They, uh, they have matching tattoos. They are, uh, you know, they're buddies. So to, to parents, they might get, you know, we were making a slight nod to the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Um, but to the kids, they're just like, oh yeah, cool motorcycle guys, like hanging out together. Um, but really fun, like little subtleties, like throughout the brand that so, different generations like enjoy. Talk to me about that. Cause that's a level of detail you don't see in many brands to, to even think to do that is, is awesome. But I, I, my, my background is branding, so I'm, I'm really excited now. But I also yeah. know that I've never spoken to a brand that does that. So yeah. is, is, that, is that you? Have you driven that? How has that happened? Yeah, I mean, I think when I set out to make dope, I was just like looking at this sea of dessert shops that were 
bright pink and, and white and like, you know, every shop in SF that was selling cupcakes at the time was literally like pink and white and, yeah. uh, or like rainbows on the wall or something. And it always just felt like such a childish thing when like we all love desserts. Like I just never grew out of like loving to like go crazy and get like cupcakes and cakes and cookies. And I loved going to different dessert shops. Like I like trying to find new places, but they all look the same. And I thought, I happen to be a girl who doesn't really like to wear pink, okay. <laughs> like isn't a traditional kind of like girl mode. So I wanted to make like a, I don't even know if you'd call it like edgier, but when I started to work with some um, agencies, like on the package design, for example, and I'm like telling them my story and like showing them, you know, the brand and they're like, it's kind of like a badass brand with heart, you know, like we're like kind of this like rough edgy stuff. And like, you know, this idea that like life is raw, like it's okay to be kind of messy and like not have everything so perfect. Um, so we have like cookie crumbs, like scattered throughout the packaging and like in our brand design. So all this, like, and in photography, you know, is something spilt or there's some spilt milk in the background. Like we want it to be like, not so prim and proper. And so when I was working with this agency to make the characters and like really bring the flavors to life, we've got four core flavors that we had characters designed for so that, you know, when it goes into retail, they can like really kind of pop. Um, and it was so important to make something that like felt relatable and didn't feel like we were just doing some cheesy kid thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can we have them with like a little more spunk and like a little more attitude and like fairy dust is like this super spunky, like little fairy who's like sprinkling rainbow sprinkles, like salt bay off her elbow. Um, and cookie monster is like hilarious. Like he's like eating like a chunk of himself in one hand. <laughs> like, so it's a little dark. It's like this cookie yeah. monster is literally like, cannibalizing himself. Uh, and then of course, like the, the writer die. So I don't know. We just, yeah, really tried to lean into this, doing this different, like do, just shake up <laughs> somewhat a branding person told me once, like you're literally doing everything wrong and it's so right. Like you're doing everything yeah. wrong for like the dessert category and for food, like black is like traditionally not something you would ever want to put with a dessert brand. And we leaned into it. You know, we have like lots of black on our packaging. Like these are our seasonal pints and, um, very different for a dessert company but like you know if you want to stand out and, and do something different like I think it was ripe for shaking up I didn't yeah know what we, we, we've talked about that on the podcast before as a, obviously there's the dessert industry is a great example um we we've had similar with the accountancy industry where there's a real stereotypical expectation of what that industry is and how it should yeah. look and everybody thinks that the best thing to do is to conform and yeah. actually the opposite is true the best thing to do is do the opposite of what everybody else is doing yeah. and like this extends beyond branding too to the product like we have this conversation a lot with um you know some investor groups are like oh we only like you know we're looking for plant-based and like vegan and gluten-free and like you know d like dope is not in this like we need every stamp and certification like top eight allergen free like we want to be delicious like it's cookie dough it should make you feel good and it's made with ingredients you'd find in your pantry. So we make it with normal stuff. There's no preservatives added, but like we love butter and we really like sugar and it's gonna have those things in it. And that in many ways has actually helped us stand out versus like the, you know, there's other cookie dough companies that have come out like with like adaptogens in the cookie dough or like it's all gluten-free and vegan. And it's like, it tastes like cardboard. Like you want something that tastes good and like brings that memory back. So it's funny, like not going with the trend of all those health things and you actually stand out. Like I'm not fighting against so many others. 
I get to go after the big guys. Like I want Toll House to notice us yeah. and say, well, this company is doing something awesome because we're for that person that wants to indulge. But like the consumer today wants to do it kind of responsibly and know what's in their product, but they want it to be a dessert and taste like one. Yeah, you're leaving the uh, the decision with the consumer rather than taking the, I mean, we have an issue over here. So Cadbury is a huge brand over here for kind of confectionery, mm -hmm. but they've changed their recipes to well, we have a sugar tax so that's that's why but but I, I'd rather pay more and, ha and have it taste like it did before oh man how controversial I didn't know that Cadbury did this you're saying yeah yeah so dairy milk uh, which is their main yeah. brand tastes different to what it did 10 years ago oh wow that's crazy it's, it's, it's awful so uh, we have the same yeah. with like soft drinks so Ribena and Vimto taste different to what they did 10 years ago and, mm. I, and from a brand perspective, it's like, no, be unashamedly your brand. If you need to release another version to comply, yeah. do that. But have the premium version that people can still buy. Totally agree. Yeah. It's like the one um, example that uh, one aligned investor did point out was like, um, the volume of Oreos that are sold every year will always surpass like probably every vegan cookie company put together, yeah. you know, as far as like the true volume that's being sold. Like there's a much larger audience out there that is like, just give me something good. It's a dessert and I want to indulge versus trying to hit like this health trend in every single category, like down yeah. to a fault. It's like, we just don't need that many plant-based cookie dough <laughs> you know yeah. i just don't think <laughs> yeah you're you're putting yourself in amongst some serious competition maybe maybe just make yeah. some cookie yeah. <laughs> yeah like what if we just use butter i don't know yeah so it's been a fun journey <laughs> but you know the vegans won't eat it if you just use butter you do know that <laughs> exactly. I know that. And there's lots of options for them. Um, like you said, with like being able to release an option, like we are, we used to have, and we're still working on another recipe to release where we'll have an option in our build your own pack page for people who are vegan or gluten-free to be able to get something. It's just not going to be the dope experience, right? It's not going to taste exactly like their main flavors and it won't be something that we lead with. And, um, you know, like I said, it's more for like, if you actually have like that dietary need, like we'd yeah. like to, of course, not leave that on the table and be able to offer something, particularly to think about a family getting like a mix and match four pack and like, oh, the daughter, you know, is, is vegan or something. You want to be able to have that as an option for them. But yeah, but not, not, com not compromise your brand at the same time. Yeah, yeah. we're not changing all of them to, to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruining the taste of your chocolate bar. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay, this has been awesome. You've been really, really generous with your time. Thank you. Um, what's what? What should people take away from from listening to you today? Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of things. One, if you are somewhere that we ship, which is the fifty United States, so if you're there, you know, ordering um, dope at dope.com is awesome. But if not, follow us at dope on Instagram so that you know exactly when we're available in the mm -hmm. UK someday um in the year century we discussed earlier <laughs> time frame so yeah heading to at dope on instagram um we're also at dope on facebook we're on tiktok at eat dope um and then of course like i'm available on all the social platforms too to connect with so awesome. super fun and if you are an employer would love to chat and support your efforts in like implementing a mental health policy and if you're an employee you know recommending bringing something like this to your employer um and bringing it up in conversation so you know what kind of place you're working at <laughs> which yeah. is always good to know 
cool. Yeah, someone said like, how should I bring this up in an interview? And um, you know, what if they don't, what if they respond bad or think I'm like, you know, asking for too much. And I was like, if the employer in the interview responds poorly to you asking about a mental health policy, I don't think it's somewhere you want to work, yeah. you know? So it's kind of a weeding out process, like upfront, um, I think. Yeah. We're, we're going through interview processes at the moment. We're looking for some, some extra employees and cool. one in particular, emphasized about a bad mental health experience with a previous employer and she mm. was she was really apologetic about it mm. and it's, it's like own it what are you apologizing for if, if an environment's toxic and it's making you ill leave that's fine i, I yeah, i'm good on you. i'm pleased that you're decisive and uh, mm -hmm. i think totally. i think yeah hopefully the world is moving that way yep we got it <laughs> awesome got it. thank you so much for coming on